you'll find your Bible and go to Matthew 16, we'll also be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 today. For 2,000 years, people have been trying to figure out what to do with Jesus. How do we label him? How do we put some definition to who he is? I was actually reading a rant by an atheist last night that was just going off on some of the new movies that have come out. Uh, the Son of God, and then the movie about Noah. And it struck me as kind of funny that here is somebody who doesn't believe in God that was so upset about the idea of God. I mean, why would you get upset about something that you don't believe in? But Jesus is such an imposing figure. He, he literally divides time in half. We think of time as before Christ and after Christ. There has been no other historical figure that has the impact upon society that Jesus has had. People live their entire lives devoted to him. There is a history of people laying down their lives for their belief in him. Around the world today, there will be people martyred for their belief in Christ. Now, what is interesting is that Jesus never held public office. He didn't have a throne. He did not have an army. He didn't amass a great wealth. He, he didn't invent something. He didn't discover a new land. He didn't paint a great work of art. And yet through all of this, there has never been a person who has lived that has impacted government, that has impacted peace, family, education, law, art, architecture, health care, There has never been a person live that has had more impact on society than Jesus Christ. So anyone that is intellectually honest at all has to come to some conclusion about Jesus. Who is he? His impact is so significant that he demands attention. For Muslims, they have determined that Jesus is a great prophet, If you're a Hindu or a Buddhist, you might see Jesus as a great moralist. If you are a Mormon, you see Jesus as someone who saves you from the sin nature and then becomes an example of what you too can be. To many naturalists, they would say that Jesus is a champion of love. He's a champion of peace. But who do Christians say that Jesus is? What is the Christian answer to who is Jesus? And even further, who do you say that Jesus is? Well, in Matthew chapter 16, the Bible says that Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. And so he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, Still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now, at this point in Jesus' ministry, his popularity is at an all-time high. He had been doing great miracles. He had been some of his most famous teaching had just occurred. If Jesus were in modern society, he would now be the headline on the Drudge Report. Uh, TMZ would have cameras following him wherever he went. The disciples' live tweets would be trending on Twitter. I mean, Jesus had reached the height of his popularity. And so he asked his disciples, 
who do people say that I am? And so they say, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. He's come back to life. Some say that Elijah has returned and that you are Elijah. Others say you're Jeremiah because for many, Jeremiah was the greatest prophet. And then still others just say that you're one of the prophets. So Jesus presses in. But you, you, who do you say that I am? So Simon Peter speaks up. Simon Peter never at a loss for words. He says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now, last week, we looked at Simon Peter at one of his lowest moments. And here, Simon Peter gets it right. This is one of the greatest moments in Peter's life. Uh, Jesus presses in, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah. All right, all these other people... John the Baptist, Jeremiah, uh, Elijah, all the prophets, you're the one that they were all talking about. You're the one that their ministry pointed to. Now, he goes beyond just simply saying, Jesus, you're the Messiah. He also says this, you're the son of the living God. Peter had a front row seat to Jesus' ministry. And after watching the miracles... After hearing the teaching of Jesus, Peter's conclusion, Jesus Christ is the Messiah and he is the Son of God. Now in Peter's mind, I think he probably thought this was time for Jesus to reveal. It was time for Jesus to establish his kingdom and to become the great Messiah of Israel. So after saying this, I I can imagine Peter pulling out the box of vote Jesus and 27 buttons, that Peter was ready to start uh, JesusMessiah.com and that they brought out a chariot with Jesus' picture painted on the side so that he could travel around the hillside. But instead of all that, Jesus says, "Here's here's the game plan. Look at verse 17. Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the forces of Hades, or hell, will not overpower it. So Jesus says, listen up, Peter. I'm going to now give you the game plan. On this simple declaration that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that Jesus is the Anointed One, I am going to build my church. On who I am, I'm going to build my church. And I'm going to gather the disciples who make this declaration that Jesus is the Son of God, and they will be my church. Now, in the passage, he goes on to say, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and there I'm going to die. And that was really hard for Peter to digest. In fact, uh, in Mark, Peter actually pulls Jesus aside and is basically like, would you quit talking all this death and dying stuff? But that was the plan of Jesus. 
He was going to go to Jerusalem. He was going to lay down his life. The gates of hell could not stop him. He would, he would rise from the dead. He would gather the disciples that proclaimed Jesus as the Son of God. He would form his church, and the movement of Jesus Christ would go out through all the world. Do we have any Allen residents in the room today? Anybody that lives in Allen? promise I won't. Wow, we don't have anybody from Allen. I had one in the 830 service, so, so uh, no, no Allenites today. Well, okay. Well, we'll move on anyway. But uh, what's Allen most known for? Their football stadium, right? That's right. They have a $60 million football stadium, second only to Jerry World in its magnificence. I mean, it's an incredible high school football stadium. I think they won the state championship last year, didn't they? Yeah. And the stadium's about two years old, and it's come out now that there are cracks in the concrete. In fact, it's so bad that they are having to close it down, and I read they may even have to tear parts of it down because the concrete, the foundation, what holds it up, it has structural problems. Now, they should have known better than to have Chuck Norris's birthday party there at the stadium. I mean, what do you expect? Of course the concrete's going to get cracked if you have Chuck Norris's party there. But, 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 but the, the, the point that I'm getting at is the rock on which Jesus was going to build his church, the structure, the foundation, what is going to keep it held up and keep it going is this reality that Jesus is the Son of God and the declaration of his people that Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God. In our church, we come from a lot of different backgrounds. I preach all three services each week, and so I see that we're multi-generational, sometimes multi-ethnic. We come from different economic backgrounds. Uh, we have even different denominational backgrounds, uh, different cities, except for Alan. We come from different cities uh, to our church. Uh, there's just a lot of differences within our congregation. We even have Aggies, Longhorns, and Sooners, all three in the church. You said, guns up. That's cute, okay? But we even have Aggies, Sooners, and, and, and Longhorns in the church. But the one thing, the one thing that unites us, the one thing that brings us together is this declaration, this belief this reality that Jesus is the Son of God. In fact, the prerequisites to being a member of Murphy Road Church is that, number one, you have personally declared in your own life that Jesus is the Son of God, that you have embraced Him as your Savior and your Lord, that personally you have embraced that, and that you are willing to publicly declare that Jesus is the Son of God by identifying with Him through believer's baptism. That is what I, that, that's what we build the membership upon. Jesus built his church on this idea that he's the son of God and he would gather his people together who believe in this reality that Jesus is the son of God. Now this is interesting. Jesus never defined church as a nice steeple. He never defined it as a place with a lot of fun activities, good casseroles. I love me a good casserole. But he didn't define church that way. He didn't define church as a great band. 
He didn't define church as an endurable sermon, deepening friendships, a place where everybody knows your name. He said this, that his church would be built on the declaration that Jesus is the Son of God. And he also said the gates of hell cannot stop this. What Jesus is and what Jesus did, that's the foundation of our church. We call this the gospel. Now, what the gospel means is this, that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the God-man. And that the Lord literally came down. John 1 says that God tabernacled. He lived among us. That whenever you see Jesus, you see God. That Jesus lived the life that none of us could live. You see, all of us sin and we fall short of the glory of God. And if you say, no, not me, I'm not a sinner, then you're prideful, so we just got you anyway. Okay, so you're a sinner. We're all sinners. But Jesus lives the life that none of us can live. Jesus is betrayed. He is crucified. But within theology, within the scriptures, the death of Christ is not just uh, the death of a political activist who got in trouble with Rome. But Jesus' death on the cross is a substitutionary atonement that he died on the cross for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he might bring you to God. And the scriptures say that we are called to place our faith not in our own righteousness, but in Christ's righteousness, that we are called to believe in him, that whenever we believe in Christ, we experience forgiveness of our sins. We are, as Romans 6 says, baptized or immersed, that's what the word means, immersed into Christ so that God now sees us in Christ, so that when Christ died, we died in Christ. When Christ rose again, we rose again in Christ. We belong to Christ for all eternity. God loves us through the righteousness of his Son. God sees us in Christ. We are dearly loved by God. We experience grace and mercy because as believers, we are in Christ, and we are to live out the reality of the gospel by being like Christ in our lives. That's the gospel in a nutshell. That's what this church is built on. That is what is foundational to who we are. Now, every week, whenever you come into the church, you are handed a uh, Sunday paper. I've just started calling it that recently. It's a a single piece of paper that kind of gives you some of the uh, activities around the church. And at the bottom of that paper, it always says these words, we exist to lead people to worship grow in and serve God through lives changed by the power of the gospel. And the reason why we put that out there every week is because we we want people to understand that this is what we're built on. This is what we envision happening, that our lives would be changed by the power of the gospel, that we would be worshiping, that we would be growing, that we would be serving God through our lives that are being transformed by His power. Now, this is spring break week. And so uh, what, I, what I'm wanting to do today is, is just talk to you as your pastor. Every now and then I like to take a break from the series that we're in and just have, have a little time to talk as church. And so in the time that we have left, I, I want to share with you two pastoral prayers that, that I have for our congregation 
as we try to live out the gospel together. Number one, I pray that the gospel would be changing us into real-life worshipers. That the gospel would be changing us into real-life worshipers. If your understanding of the church is that it's an organization, then it is very likely that for you, church is something that you attend. One day a week, you get up, you quit fighting with your family for two hours, you find your Bible, you dust it off, uh, you see a few friends, a couple of which you actually like, and you listen to a lesson, and then after church is over, you go back home to your life. And for you, the church is a building, it's located over here, it's something that I do, it's something that I attend. But now, if at its foundation, you view the church as a movement that is based on the reality that Jesus is the Son of God, and this movement gathers in local assemblies, local congregations that meet throughout the world each week on on Sunday, and then we are called to take this message that Jesus is the Son of God back into the world. If that's how you see the church, it's a movement that Jesus established based on the fact that he's the Son of God. We gather together in local assemblies where we make much of Christ, where we celebrate Jesus as Son of God through baptism, through Lord's Supper, where we encourage one another and build one another up in Christ where we learn more about God and then we take what happens here back into our world. If you begin seeing the church that way instead of, instead of seeing it simply as an organization that you go to and leave, if you see it that way, it starts changing everything. You see, Christianity is not something that you just do. If we were to do a CAT scan of your soul, we should see Jesus. He's, he's your core. He's your foundation. Our belief in Jesus Christ, that he's the Son of God, it should be defining our families, kid to parent. It should define parent to kid, grandparents to grandchildren. Our belief in Jesus Christ should be affecting us in real life so that it's changing our family. It should be changing our marriages. Have you ever thought about this, that in the Bible it actually teaches that the marriage relationship is to mirror Christ's relationship with the church? That the way that you respond to your spouse, the way that you love your spouse, is to mirror the way that Christ loves his church. Our belief that Jesus is the Son of God It should be defining your role within the community. How how do you see the community around you? When you drive by the school in your neighborhood? Do you ever stop and pray for the kids that attend that school? When you drive down the street, maybe you're walking the dog and you go by the houses in your neighborhood. Do you ever pray for the families that live around you? Do you ever stop and think about Murphy, Wiley, Saxon, wherever it is that you might live, and just pray for God's blessings to be on this city? You see, when the gospel really begins to take root in our hearts, it starts changing the way we see our communities. No longer are those people around us just annoyances. There are people that God loves, and we are to love them as well. And my prayer for us is that 
the reality of the gospel will be changing our behavior in real time. Students, whenever you guys go to school, that the reality of the gospel will be changing you as you go into the schools. People say, well, they took prayer out of school. Yeah, but they can't take the Christians out of school. You guys go to school. Should not Christ be walking the hallways of the schools? Uh, And whenever you go to work, and I understand there's restrictions on what you can and cannot say, but you can model Christ in your attitude and your behavior. And my prayer is that you won't simply see yourself, uh, let's say, as a nurse, but you'll see yourself as a Christian who practices nursing. That you'll see yourself as a Christian who is called to go out into the world and and be an ambassador of Jesus Christ wherever you are. That that belief in Christ will go with you into the grocery store. That that belief in Christ goes with you to the baseball game when you're sitting there waiting for karate classes to be over. That belief in Christ is there with you. Wherever you are, the gospel is going with you and you are living it out in real time. You know, these days it seems like every website you visit has a, has a login. Everywhere you go, you got to log in. Give them your username and your password. And I'm told by the computer guys that you're supposed to mix it up a little bit. You know, use different usernames. Use different passwords along the way. Now, after a while, do you ever have this problem? You kind of forget who you are. You know, what's my name on this website? I can't remember my username. And you're, you're puzzled, okay, what, what, what is it that I'm supposed to be here? Because I have so many different usernames and so many different passwords, it's hard to keep up with it all. The other day I was setting up the, the router at home. And you know, whenever you set up your router at home, you have to name your home network. And so you name your home network, and there's that, little, there's that little button usually up in the right corner where you can see your signal, and whenever you click on it and you see the available networks, you see all your neighbor's networks. You know, and hopefully they have locks on it so that you can't steal Internet from your neighbors. Uh, some of you need to repent. But anyway, uh, and so you can see all your neighbor's Internet at- networks. So you've got to be really careful what you name it. So I was thinking, what should I name my home network? So I finally came to the conclusion that I was going to name mine FBI Surveillance Truck Number 45. (laughs) Now that would freak out your neighbors, wouldn't it? I didn't really do that. I stole that from somebody else. But uh, my prayer for us is that when it comes to life, we just have one username. And that's Jesus. And we take his name Everywhere we go, that we're not constantly confused about, okay, who am I here and who am I here? That I am a child of the King, that I I believe in Jesus as the Son of God, and He has called me to live that out in life around me. Now, my second prayer that I have for us today is that the gospel would motivate us to build one another up in Christ. Passage from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 9. The Bible says God did not appoint us to wrath. Here is the, the destination, the what of God's predestination. He, uh, he, he, he appointed us to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10, who died for us. So whether we are awake or asleep, We will live together 
with Him. You see the community aspect. We live together with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. I'm going to read that verse again. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. I used to preach uh, week-long revivals at this small country church every year. Uh, it's just a small church, ran about 100, 150 uh, on Sundays, but it was a cool church. I, I loved going there. They had the sweet, sweet spirit. I mean, the people loved each other, and they had fun, and whenever you went there, uh, you wanted to go back. It was just an exciting, it was just a neat place to be. They weren't going to be on Christianity Today, or you know, people weren't going to you know, flock to their conferences, but it was just a really cool church. After going there for a couple of years, there were, I, I noticed the pastor started telling me there, there were a couple of people, just a couple, that started gossiping within the congregation. And they went really, really negative on everything. And before long, they were poisoning the water with their friends. And I watched, just coming in and out of that congregation, over about a two-year period of time, I watched that church transform from a sweet church where it was just neat to be there. I watched it transform from that to a bitter, angry church. It, it was devastating to watch. I hope you realize this. I hope you realize how special Murphy Road is. I hope you realize how, in some ways, unique this congregation is. Do you realize that? Do you? How special this church is? How unique this is? Some of the things that God is doing within this church body? This is a place where it's a saying that we have around here where grace abounds. The greatest gift that Jesus Christ ever gave you is grace. And we have to be willing to extend grace to others. Now, we haven't arrived yet. There's a whole bunch left to do. We're a work in progress. And in fact, you know, that, that's in some ways part of our identity. I mean, we're not the biggest church in Texas. I mean, there's bigger churches than we are. And part of our identity is that Murphy Road's a place where, you know, a young minister can come and, and learn where somebody can come in the church and have opportunity to serve. And so we may not always be completely polished, but we're a family. There's lots for us to do. And church life is, can be kind of like climbing a mountain. You have ups and downs. You have plateaus along the way. And sometimes you face unexpected challenges and you're not exactly sure how I'm going to navigate that. New people come into the church body. Uh, friends of ours, sometimes God moves on to new chapters in their life for whatever reason, and, and that can sometimes be tough. And in a congregation, there are anchors. There's people that have just been in that church for years and years, and they are the stability. They're kind of uh, what keeps everything focused and, and nailed down, and, and they're just they're anchors in that church. I'm thinking of Steve and Amy Baggett. Y'all been in here now for, what, 12, 13 years? 
Both of y'all were baptized here. Steve's the chairman of our deacons. Hey, if you've been at Murphy Road for over a decade, you're an old timer <laughs> at Murphy Road. And just going back to the year 2000, Murphy was a bunch of cotton fields. And so, so you know, there, there's been a lot of new that, that has occurred in the last 15 years in, in the history of this church. It is vital that we make up our minds, that we make a conscious decision that as a church, we're going to build one another up rather than tear one another down. There is so much negative in the world today. It is so much easier to be a discourager than an encourager. It seems like every arena of life is just dripping with negativity. You watch sports, and then they have talk-in, call-in shows where people complain about everything about the team. You, you, you follow politics, and there's so much negativity, and society as a whole, you know, there's just so much negativity, and it's so easy to just get caught in that pattern of thinking so that, you know, you just take that with you wherever you go. You bring it into your family and your child-rearing, and it just becomes your, your general default. Hey, listen, if you're the kind of person that would rather critique one another then build one another up in Christ. If you love nitpicking, if you love good old church fights and you like tearing down and, and you know, you're all about power and control and I've got to make sure I have this under my thumb, if, if that's kind of who you are and you're, you're not willing to repent and change and, and, and try to be part of God's family, there's a lot of churches where you would fit right in. In fact, I can give you a list of some of those churches. There's a lot of churches out there that that's what they do. Year after year, they just pound on each other. And week after week, they come together to complain about everything out there, and they never actually love their community. They just beat their community down. That's not what we're about here. That, that, that's not, Murphy Road's just not that kind of place. That's not our DNA. The Scriptures teach us that we are to build one another up. The sermon we looked at a couple weeks ago, Jesus said, by your love for one another, they will know that you are my disciples. Loving one another, building one another up, means that sometimes we have to go through swampy land together. But we have to make up our minds to be encouraging, not discouraging. We have to make up our minds that we're in this together to help one another be like Christ. I'm so thankful and for people in my own life who just encouraged me along the way. There's a little lady named Esther Everett. Esther is 90 years old, and she is in the church that I grew up in, Victory Baptist Church. I, I was asked to be the youth minister in that church when I was 19, which was far, far too young. I was making all sorts of mistakes. I was in way over my head. And every Sunday morning, I would go and talk with Esther, and she would pray with me, and she would encourage me, and she would just help me along the way. I didn't have grandmothers in my life growing up. Esther became like a grandmother to me, and she's just this godly, simple lady that encouraged me. And as I look back in those formative years of my life, she played such a pivotal role in encouraging me along the way. I'm so thankful that she didn't just tear me down and destroy me because she could have. Instead, she made a decision. I, I want to help this young man. 
Whenever I was in Austin, I was a young pastor, 28 years old. I met a guy by the name of Don Courtney. Don had been a missionary to Guatemala for over 20 years. Uh, Don had forgotten more ministry than I knew. But I go to Don and I say, hey, Don, can you help us reach some senior citizens? We don't have any senior citizens in this church. Don says, yeah, I'll I'll come and I'll help. He started a senior citizens Bible study. He's still teaching that class today, 15 years later. But one thing I knew about Don was that he would always be there to encourage me along the way. I was just learning to preach. You say, you're still learning to preach. I get it. But I was just learning what being a minister was all about. And he'd come to me and he'd say, well, Lash, hey, you know, cheer up. At least the sermon was short today, you know. And, and, you know, he just always encouraged me and helped me along the way. And I can't tell you what a difference that made in my life to have somebody just encourage me along the way. There's a man in this community uh, that I I think is a great encourager. How many of you all know Al Draper? Al Draper was the pastor over at First Baptist Wiley for 36 years. And, uh, you know, within my view of thinking, you have the Holy Spirit, and then you have Billy Graham, and then you have Al Draper. I mean, he's just a godly man, and, and he's an encourager, and he's always there to, to just help people along the way. Now, he has moral fiber. He, he, he can speak the truth in love, but he's always there to encourage people and help you and, and motivate you to, to keep serving God. And, and I just thank God for people like that. Church, I need your help in this. Let's make this part of the foundation. Let's make this part of our DNA, part of our identity, that Murphy Road is a loving church, that this is a place where grace abounds, that this is a place where we build one another up in Christ instead of tearing one another down in the name of Christ. Let's make that part of our core identity. Amen? All in favor, say aye. Let's stand together. Let's pray. The band's going to come. If today you're here and and maybe as I've been talking about Jesus Christ, you've wrestled with that question of who is he in your life, and today you're, you're wanting to make that decision that he is the Son of God, that he is your Lord, he's your Savior. I want to pray with you and encourage you in that decision. I'll be here at the front. And during this next song, if you'll just come and see me, today can be what we call your day of salvation, where you embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The band's going to lead us in this worship, and I, I encourage you to worship loudly, sing loudly to your Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Thank you so much for what you're doing in this community. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done through Jesus Christ. Lord, we have forgiveness, we have grace, we have mercy. We have so much from you. Our blessings are abundant. Father, we we live in this world where it is so easy to be overwhelmed with darkness, to be overwhelmed with a spirit of negativity and discouragement. I pray, Lord, that that will not be the spirit of your house. Lord, thank you for this group of believers that gathers together each Sunday around this simple yet powerful reality. 
Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But that is the truth that binds us. Help us, Lord, to worship you. Help us, Lord, to be growing in you. Help us, Lord, to be, able, be willing to reach out, encourage others along the way. When we see someone doing something for you, help us, Lord, to encourage them on. When we see somebody hurting, Lord, help us to walk with them through the pain. Help us, Lord, to be growing up in you. And I pray that the love of Christ in our heart might be overflowing the boundaries of our lives. That you will be stretching us and expanding us so that we love as you love. Help us, Lord, to care about the boys and girls that attend school in our communities. Help us, Lord, to care about the families that live around us. Help us, Lord, to care about those that have come from all over the world to live in this community that we call home. And may we have the joy of seeing the power of the gospel take root in the hearts of people and change us from the inside out. When people look at Murphy Road Baptist Church, may they say to themselves, those people are like Christ. They make much of Him. It's in His name that we pray, in His name that we worship. Amen.